You have a handout. I don't have a PowerPoint. Um, my apologies for that, but um, hopefully you can follow through the handout which is in your packs. And um, I'm going to piggyback a bit on what um, Miriam has, has said it's about the historical bit, so that'll kind of save a wee bit of time. I'm taking you outside of the academy, actually. I'm taking you into um, learning that is taking place in communities through the kind of concept of community adult education. Uh, I will come back inside the academy to the current context because I think there are interesting things happening in Scotland which are different from the rest of the UK. I mean, there are lots of similarities in uh, kind of the neoliberalisation of uh, waves and sectors of, of, of education. Um, but at the same time, that there is, I think, a, a kind of potential for a social purpose education in the, through higher education and community adult education, despite, despite all the kind of problems um, that, that we have. And you'll know about those. When I say community adult education, uh, I teach um, undergraduate and postgraduate students in community education, and I specialise in the adult education component of that. My understanding of community education in England is very much based around connection to schools. In Scotland, that would be very, very uh, infrequent. There, may, there will be, in some schools, links to, uh, to community education. Maybe one or two schools would have a community educator based there. But by and large, community educators would be based in area teams, geographically uh, spread in, in different parts of um, the city and the country and so on. So community educators who would have a more generic remit around areas of youth work, adult education, and community development, um, that's when I can refer to community adult education. It's usually to that, that bundle, but with the emphasis on the adult education side. Um, so some people do specialize a bit, but they're, they, they sh they're um, trained to be generic as well. Um, Ten years ago, uh, undergraduate, postgraduate students coming out of University of Edinburgh, 50-60% would have been employed in a local authority. They would have walked into, we call them community learning and development now, but they would have walked into those uh, areas of community education. They would be full-time generally. Um, now, if one or two of our students walked into a job like that, it is exceptional. Um, the majority of our students are now in the gig economy. They are they have a portfolio of work. Surprisingly, we do you know the kind of university does review where people end up. All our students from the last few years are actually working in this area, but they're all sort of involved in these short-term projects, putting together a bundle of different things uh, and making sense out of it in their own particular ways. Uh, so lots of insecurity. Um, Lots of uncertainty, but that they're still working in that particular sector. So um, that's so that's who I'm involved in, and they're they're the group I'm talking about, the community adult educators. And I want to step back historically now. This is uh, the looking back to the social democratic era of um, the the formation of community education, because it is important for us. And I have to unfortunately kind of go into context for you. And you know, it's kind of a bit more, um, because the, the, the context of histories are different, I need to convey a bit of that to you, and I'll try not to get too 
uh, you know, bogged down in, in, in those bits of it. Long histories, that kind of social purpose, the type of transformative, the, the moral improvement, all those kind of traditions. Um, in Scotland, they have been really significant. The cooperative movement, Robert Owen, the New Lanarkshire Mill, still there, still really interesting. You go to Scotland, get to New Lanark, it's, it's a great uh, day out. Um, the kind of the Tillicoutry was the um, National Council for Labour Colleges, but it's a strong workers' education uh, historically, peace movement, women's movement, environmental movement in the 60s and 70s, particularly uh, through the uh, organisations, workers' education association, really, really important. Um, so that we have that kind of that history, and in a way, those kind of three different purposes, uh, you could say, came together to form 1975, and this is the, hist you know, the historical bit that's important to, uh, to, to, to say, creation of community education services by um, a chap who was actually, uh, he was, uh, worked for the uh, University of Leeds um, extramural department, uh, Sir Kenneth Alexander, and um, he was a contemporary of E.P. Thompson, a friend of E.P. Thompson's actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, where, um, in a way, it kind of used to rally against uh, the, the Alexander Report when, it was, when um, this is in the in the 90s and that when I was teaching uh, students, uh, because it seemed to me very sort of too liberal pluralist, not kind of socially committed enough. Um, but my kind of views changed. <laughs> and now I think it's such a wonderful <laughs> bedrock of radicalism that um, you know we've not seen the lights of uh, for, for, for a long time. Uh, and we won't again, probably. So the Alexander Report recommended, and it happened, was the creation of this service of community educators that would be adult educators. The report was made adult education, a challenge of change. What he said was adult education is detached from people's lives. It's middle class, it's kind of largely gendered, mainly women who attend it. Um, and it doesn't reach into ordinary working class communities or poor communities, disadvantaged, whatever you call them. It needed to connect. So, and there were not enough of them either. And yet there were lots of youth and community workers who said, let's bundle these people together. Let's train them together. Let's call them community educators and make sure that adult educators take a community development approach. Not the significant, really kind of spell, spell out what that uh, meant. But, um, Four characteristics, I think, could characterise uh, that idea. One was um, the adult was in control of the education. It was, it, it was up to them, it was, it was voluntary, they were the subjects, it was theirs to do what they were, and the objects, they were changing themselves. The idea of the subject and objects of, of education wasn't about kind of being invited in to do courses or programmes and a menu type of things but they will create it around their own interests, their own lives, whatever they're going to be. Very kind of uh, potential for creative, uh, open uh, type of curriculum. And you have to start from where people are. There's, there's no sort of, uh, you know, kind of importation of kind of curricular uh, qualifications, training, unless people wanted these type of things. The subject matters of education, they would depend where people are. They would be in control. Here we are talking about challenges to the politics of knowledge. Who is deciding what is worthwhile learning? Who is deciding worthwhile education? In a simple move, he would say, 
these people will decide. And what it makes connections to their lives, that's when they'll participate. And it doesn't make, there's always other stuff that isn't making those connections. So we, we have to change it. Um, so, uh, and crucially, crucially, this is the only profession I know in the world that was told it was to have a democratic imperative. It was there, okay, to benefit people individually, to get the skills and knowledge, if that's what they wanted. But it was fundamentally there to, to build a thriving democratic society. Community development would enable groups of individuals in communities to learn the practical skills of kind of democracy and their associations, their groups, and they would learn to challenge, and they would learn to dissent. Kenneth Alexander called adult education the fourth estate. It would hold power accountable. Uh, so that kind of sense of dissent was to be encouraged. Yeah, if you get in the report, dissent was to be encouraged. It had to be resourced education. If you wanted a liberal, pluralist, democratic society, you must encourage and resource even views that you disagree with, because that's what makes a strong democratic society. So really important, and therefore the curriculum of uh, community adult education was as open and wide as you like. It was no, there was no particular boundaries. I want to refer to a few examples. I'm sorry, they're, they're my, my, my own. So for instance, it's a simple thing to do this. Uh, in 1984, I was a community adult educator, uh, and it was, in the, it was during the miners' strike, and I was working in the Middle Ovian region of, uh, of near Edinburgh, and working with women support groups. Um, and we, I said, well, you know, let's kind of make connections, we talk about things. And I said, what do you, you know, is there anything I can do here that you know do some things with you? And they were decided to do. Um, we had four groups and decided to do a course, a course, women living the strike was a course. They were the experts. They had lived it. It was where they were. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to reflect on it. How did they live with their families? What happened to the kids at schools? What happened to their partners? What happened during people being imprisoned? And all, all that kind of stuff. It was great. Fantastic. We, and we produced a book from that. Um, so that, that kind of sense of, you know, the curriculum coming out of people's lives and experiences uh, and being particularly relevant for them. Now, I don't want to create a misleading impression that you have this thriving across the country of all this kind of stuff going on. It didn't really like that. Jean Barr, who some of us will remember, uh, Professor of Adult Education at Glasgow University, wrote an article in about 1986 saying, um, the, the, the interesting thing about uh, adult education in Scotland is it's invisible. So it's very kind of, I think she's over the street there, but I mean, she, she was saying that you, know, there's, uh, you can't see it. There's not enough of this stuff going on. Um, I mean, she was involved as a workers' educational associate and doing this type of thing through the peace movement, women's movement. But in general terms, she was very critical of it. And Jane Thompson, who Miriam mentioned, talked about education by stealth uh, and was very critical of, the, of that kind of uh, notion. So what you had was, in a sense, an expectations on the educator who would be a bundle of things. There would be a group worker, a facilitator, there would be a teacher, there would be a resource worker, there would be a researcher, a community developer, an amateur, all that kind of stuff, all bundled into one. So you can just imagine that, that doesn't sometimes work, it's pretty hard stuff to do. Um, so uh, a lot of expectations, 
Um, not, all, not always evident in the practice, but actually strongly evident in the, in the rhetoric of the profession. And rhetoric means something here because people still identify. Older workers in, still uh, engaged will connect with that rhetoric of uh, what community adult education is about. And that's, that's significant. <laughs> I won't be about 10 minutes. <laughs> I will sort of skip some of these because um, I'll, I'll treat them very lightly. The neoliberalization of community education. Uh, and, you know, this is a treatment that you'll be familiar in slightly different contexts, different institutions, so I don't have to uh, labor it too much. Um, and perhaps Marion will be covering some of this ground as well. <laughs> um, you know, cuts, austerity, the, tra the public sector being uh, public sector bad, private sector good, market principles, local authorities becoming simply uh, commissioning work not providing the service, uh, overseeing contracts, those kind of things. The performance, the language of performance management, the outputs, the inputs, the uh, outcomes, the performance indicates, the whole language changes. People become consumers, people become clients, people become customers. Always kind of language is a reflection of something else going on, as Raymond Williams would uh, remind us. And we need to kind of... Um, Remember that. And the incorporation, in Scotland this happens about 2001, 2002, new labour, the incorporation of community adult education into the project of the state. No longer curriculum coming from, from below, the curriculum will be set by the social justice milestones that we have. So we want these targets to be reached. This is your goal, reach these targets. So we have, we have the world turned upside down, the wrong way, <laughs> the wrong way. <laughs> um, uh, so we have this kind of much more top-down approach taking place. We, uh, the bigger kind of picture, the learnification, uh, B.S. refers to it as, um, where every problem becomes a, learn, a learning solution linked to lifelong learning, which is economistic in its kind of purposes and so on. Uh, and the actual, these are magnified and accelerated through austerity. The austerity measures the economic austerity, um, starving communities of resources, the independent community groups that require small pockets of resources to actually function start getting de uh, suppressed. They can no longer continue. The political implications of austerity shift the blame, move the problem. Um, in you know you know language stuff. In in Scotland, you know, have solidarity targets, which means which means you're in employability, you're in employability project. The solidarity target. Oh, oh, what's going on? Um, the uh, the so they have a community empowerment act, and the community empowerment act. Um, you know, I'm not being cynical, but I think basically it means um, we'll dump all these kind of facilities and resources. Uh, social services we can, the community do it. The community has got a lot of it, give it to the community. We're going to take that little kind of space up and we can give them a few books. They'll be, they're on the community libraries. Social care, well, we can't afford it, give it to the community. It's empowering them. It's giving them something power back. So you have this kind of, you know, the, 
and of course dividing people as they compete for small pockets uh, groups become uh, socially divided uh, and some you know this is kind of the area of subjectification some of them actually buy into it this is what we, we must play the game we must, must go along with this we must actually be like that we've got to sort of like be a bit more entrepreneurial we've been too sort of like mealy mouth about all this stuff it's good and suddenly you know it's a bit like uh, Kafka estimate kind of metamorphosis you start, start speaking a squeaky language you know um, something that was quite alien uh, becomes uh, the, the result of that so, so I'm just kind of I'm going to get to the good bit soon. <laughs> the, you have I kind of you know this austerity stuff and you know Greece and that oh, haircut. How do we get this country out of a diet mess? Do we give them a haircut? And in a sense, the metaphor of the haircut is what's happened to community education Scotland. So you know when I said they don't go into local authorities because the, the haircut has been applied, then those jobs are, are no longer there. But there are spiky bits. The barber's not that good, actually. It's <laughs> like mine. <laughs> the spiky bits are still there. So, for instance, men's sheds. There's been a kind of huge expansion yeah. in men's sheds. Uh, I was hearing somebody say there were 4,000 people involved in men's sheds in Scotland. Um, adult education prisons. Some fabulous stuff going on. Um, adult education in the context of museums. Uh, open museums again some really interesting stuff but these are pockets they, they, uh, they do in a sense kind of uh, act as an, a, a substitute but they're still there they're still struggling away uh, so you know things like family learning and so on so there's still some good stuff but what I, what I want to get back to all this is about de-democratization of everyday life of life in communities anti-democratic processes taking place, uh, undermining democratic life. And that, there is something happened in Scotland. Something happened which has actually been hugely significant. And you wouldn't necessarily know it unless you were living there because you wouldn't have got it through the press. But um, it's, it's an interesting mix of Scotland. It's got this you know, parliament, quite a really powerful institution in a way, the devolved parliament, it's a lot of power. Um, and then below that, you've got sort of um, you know, kind of local authorities which are uh, poor turnouts for them. Um, at one point in Scotland, you could, you, you know, use the same was if you had a donkey and you put a, a Labour uh, rose out on it, it would get elected. Because between 1950 and 2007, you know, Labour was hegemonic. There was no other party, and that went down through the kind of local authorities, particularly in the West, uh, parts of Glasgow, all those areas. It was just Labour heartlands. Um, you know, in the UK, you went to these the islands, you could go up to some of these wee islands and get little Democrats getting in and so on, or down in the borders, you took in a, and in parts of Glasgow, some rich parts, you get a few Tories, but you know, basically it, it was Labour. But that meant there was no competition. There was actually kind of people that didn't turn out very much to vote, and you go further down, and it's the Jimmy Reid Foundation, yeah, Jimmy Reid, and you of Clyde Shipbuilds fame. Uh, they produced a report said that Scotland is the most undemocratic country since 2012. For every fourth, there's one one elected person representing their community. For every 4,270 people in Scotland, is the worst in Europe. In France, it's one person for every 25 people. Austria, one to 200. 
the, the scope of the areas being represented is hugely kind of bigger in Scotland than in other parts of Europe. So there's lots of kind of um, sense of uh, kind of very undemocratic, uh, but with this kind of complication because you have this kind of Scottish Parliament too. But then what came up was the 2014 Scottish referendum. And it was a stimulus for a kind of popular form of self-generated adult education, which was, was phenomenal, was unbelievable. But it was a two-year process, and the first year or so, you probably wouldn't notice anything was happening. The last six months of that, that process, it was incredible. In families, uh, in communities, bus stops, on, on, uh, on ferries, people would talk about you know, things to do with it. And um, there would be a host of kind of groups um, beginning to, uh, to self-organize in order to talk it through. For instance, registration was a big issue. Scotland was the first country in the UK to get the poll tax. One of the things that people did in the poll tax to resist it was to refuse to pay. They took their, and they were off the electoral register. So for a small population, that had over a million people not on the electoral register. So they are, you know, a lot of people had to be persuaded to get on it. And actually, in 96% did. Uh, and some local authorities, after the election, decided to prosecute them. Homeless <laughs> <laughs> people, women refuge, refuges, um, people who were evading uh, detection, all these things about, well, so that there, were, there were debates or issues going on in the, in, during that whole period, which, you know, you had different debates. We kind of yes and no for what could we be talking about the bank, the pound, blah blah blah, oil and all this stuff. And actually there were lots of other more interesting debates which were really connected to how people experience it. Catholic education, is that gonna go on? That's a big issue, especially in the west of Scotland, the kind of Catholic Protestant communities where lots of divisions there. So, you know, we have where people were talking these things through. So huge stimulus. And we know some of the outcomes of that uh, politically has been actually complete almost annihilation of, of Labour in Scotland. The SNP were the main beneficiaries and so on. Uh, I, I, I temper that. I don't think it was this kind of a, a big move to nationalism or anything like that. But the point I want to make is that it politicised civil society and that has had an impact. In the, the initial response of community educators I think was very limited. Uh, I went around and talked to a number of people around the country uh, asking why that what we're doing, we're not doing it, why are you doing it? Well, we were told not to touch it. Told the, the manager not to touch it. There's a lot because there was state censorship. Don't don't come here, this will create problems. Give people registration packs if you like, but you know that would be enough. Um, there's self-censorship as well, people saying, I wouldn't get support really and um, you know, so I'm not gonna bother. Uh, and people being insecure and confident, not quite sure how to handle it. So it's interesting because these are people who are used to dealing with contentious issues, but the contentious issues of, the, of politics are not something that people felt very comfortable with. However, there were examples um, of good work. I won't go into all those, but I kind of mentioned, I refer to them in the path of the craft formula. I know you get these formulas critical intelligence, resourcing movements, access, uh, and political education. Uh, participatory education. There's lots of, the, the, the educators were doing something, but it was, it was in small pockets. 
felt it kindled an interest. So since then, I've been involved in three Davila uh, Universities, uh, Workers' Education Association, so uh, it sparked an interest. People want to get involved in political education. Uh, we've, uh, we have another event coming up in Dundee in, in, in March, but been, and these are for, for workers, so um, practitioners. There is a kind of, I think, the politicisation of civil society is impacted. Practitioners were part of that. They want to do it. They want to learn. They want to read it. And the rhetoric of the profession, that identity that goes back to the Alexander book, is something that sustains it. That's what they want to do. So it's good. Anyway, what's the role of the university? This is where I'm going back and uh, coming to the current context. Well, I think there's marginality, and edges are dangerous places. Fall off the edge, quite easily. <laughs> Lots of universities are falling right off the edge. But there still operate kind of spaces for a bit of manoeuvre. Um, there's still five universities in Scotland that uh, are working in this area that I, I'm involved in. Um, I think uh, we have to resist the technicisation of language and the, the teaching excellence framework. Although it doesn't apply to Scotland, they're all the universities jumping into it because it's a market. And they don't want to be outside the market criteria, so they're willingly going into it. But we have to kind of question all, all that. Um, and making the resources of the university available to, to communities who don't use it. Two examples. Um, one we just started this week, critical discourse analysis. Um, now, I kind of uh, presented that is uh, for students and practitioners in the university, just to make it the university have this own. Researchers can come along too, it's quite useful for them. And let's have some community activists. We only got one community activist along the we didn't have very much time to publicise it, so it's, a, it's a, probably about 30 people. And we've got another two, two sessions, and we're looking at um, the kind of uh, ways of looking at how benefits and welfare recipients are, are uh, being depicted, you know, Benefit Street, all that stuff. Um, another example is uh, uh, getting a mood together on um, Another World is Possible alternative. Alternative to global, neoliberal globalisation. I'm doing it with the University of Granada. I'm going to do it in Spanish and in English, uh, and um, they tell me that we can also do it in Russian. Yeah. Well, Putin would love it, wouldn't he? <laughs> Alternatives to, to that. So um, I think you know we the the or just we just have to go ahead and create the space and just do it. Get on with it, and they can catch up with us later on. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm not looking at it. <laughs> Uh, finally, finally, <laughs> we have to speak up against the discourse. George Orwell uh, said, uh, um, speaking truth is a revolutionary act. We have to speak the truth about what is happening. And it's dire, and we've got to be uh, resisted. So that's uh, my message. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>